This is the Engineering Enablement Podcast. I'm your host, Avi Noda. My guest this week is Jean-Michel Lemieux, who is formerly the CTO of Shopify and VP of Engineering at Atlassian. Jean-Michel recently published an article saying that 50% of an organization's R&D spend should be spent on platform work. I constantly receive questions from leaders about how much to invest in platform work, so I'm excited to dive into this deeper. For this episode, we tried something new where we asked people on LinkedIn to submit questions for Jean-Michel in advance. We had lots of questions come in, which we try to touch on in this conversation. We start by talking about what the definition of platform work is and why he thinks 50% is the right amount of investment. We then discuss why Jean-Michel sees platform teams as an anti-pattern, how he suggests advocating for platform work, and how he decides which projects to fund. I hope you enjoy listening. Jean-Michel, so excited to chat with you today. Thanks so much for being on the show. Yeah, it'd be great to be here. Uh, it's a perfect topic. I always show up for platform conversations. So, <laughs> Well, excited to dive in. Where I'd like to start is with definitions. One thing that came up a lot in the discussion threads were what actually is the definition of platform and how do you define what platform work is actually referring to? So would love your take on that. Yeah, that's a good place to start because I think that definition's actually evolved over time. And I think a lack of kind of shared understanding of what that means means we're probably talking about different things. So, you know, historically, you think of a platform company or companies that are platform-y, right, are Microsoft or Apple, they're building APIs and SDKs and a big part of their product is actually a developer platform. But I think it's a developer platform and, you know, in the media, it's talked a lot about you know, people creating outside communities and around that platform. I think platform, like that word's evolved over time going, actually, if you think about what it's trying to, what these platform companies have done with their platform is they're, they've really built, built kind of a long-term high value feedback cycle of work that people can plug into. And I think what you end up doing every company at some point is like, you've got these things that provide kind of outsized long-term benefit to you. You know, so for the way I'm using it in the way that when I say, when I give these numbers out, it's every company, I'd say almost like within a year of having a product, you're going to have some parts of that that provide you outside leverage, medium to long term, you know, and I think recognizing what those things are versus the things that give you shorter term leverage is really important because those you work on those things in different ways. In the same way as the, I'd say the traditional platform companies, like you build platform products a bit differently than you do other kind of products. And I think companies have to internalize that and go, okay, what do I have any of those? What are they? And then how did I build those? So I think for me, definition, let's talk about what they actually are, is the infrastructure that you run your stuff on. <laughs> and that's what typically people go, yeah, that's what platform is. I'm like, no, there's a lot more. And this a lot more is I think the really, really critical key, the development environments for all the developers that you have, like to actually build that product, like write tests, et cetera, et cetera. And I think I mean, you guys are experts at, at providing visibility into that, but that's part of your platform, right? And why is it platformer? Well, it provides, you know, outsized long-term advantages and then leverage for you, right? If you can make our de developers go faster, that's great. So, but that's part of your platform. The system architecture and security, where does the code go and why? Like that's part of your platform decisions. The key technology choices across all those layers, your UI framework, your server, et cetera, et cetera. And then your core abstractions. And this is really, really key. Like your domain model, you know, so if you're in commerce and you're like, we have an order and we have a fulfillment and like how you model your domain is, um, so it's kind of like, where's your code go? Like, do we have one service or many? And then how do you actually model your, like your database structure and your, your business model? Like that's part of your platform because it powers a lot of things. It's probably going to make the difference of your like medium to longer term velocity. And as I'll get into a bit later, like it deserves a roadmap as much as anything else does and it's key and then obviously all your apis and sdk so that's for me that's the platform that every company has and we don't have to agree with it but at least in the context of our chat we're gonna have that's that's what i consider platform well i love that definition and i particularly like the word leverage so any work that sort of provides leverage to the organization that you can distinguish that type of work from work that provides dollars or direct dollars or direct value to customers or feature work I have a question kind of going off of your definition. I actually just the other day noticed that like Spotify has agile coaches as part of their infrastructure and platform organization. 
And so I'd be curious to ask you, is there a type of team or work that falls under platform work that focuses on organizational leverage? So specifically, is agile coaching a type of platform work or is it not? Interesting question. I'm not a huge fan of whatever you call it, like agile coaches, et cetera. Like I, um, I think your question is your organizational playbook of how you get work done part of your platform. Like absolutely. Like I almost call that your company operating system. Right. You're going to decide, do we have meetings? How do you organize? Like, oh, there's a company operating system that, like, in the article I wrote, I don't really include in that, but it's, I think it's a really good point. Like, it does provide long term leverage. Like, the, the, the way you decide to work together as a team, like, ignoring agile coaches and whatever methodology you want to use, but just the way you want to work as a team absolutely gives you long term leverage. So, if you want to apply that to the definition that we just talked about, I think it's also important to realize that platform work is actually very customer centric. And I think this is maybe left out of the conversation about platform and maybe we can get into like some of the caveats about why people fail with platform work. But I think if you look at your platform work as being some of the most important customer features that you have, right? So if you don't do those things that we talked about really well, like your performance sucks, you have no scalability, you probably have really low extensibility. It's probably hard for you to release new features. So your customers are unhappy. You're like, why aren't we getting these things fixed? You know, so I think you have to look at platform work as not a, a black hole of like tech debt and technology things, it's actually probably some of your top three to five customer features are going to be enabled sustainably by, by work in this area. Well, that actually got ahead to the next question. And this one came from the audience, which was when non-functional aspects of sort of platform product work, such as reliability, performance, and stability fall under platform work. And it sounds like you basically just answered that question, but absolutely, right? Reliance, performance, stability are very customer centric and fall under and also provide leverage to the business. Yeah. And there's things you can't, you kind of can't growth hack performance or scalability, you know, like, listen, there's maybe people super, a lot more smart than I've been and, and the teams I work with, but, you know, to get high scalability are, you know, a lot of tweaks in your domain model and in your infrastructure, like all these things that you just can't, like, you're not going to stumble onto it. It has to be pretty, like, you have to have like design this over years, right? There's some habits of work here. But now I think one of the biggest challenges that I see with engineering leaders out there is we suck at being product managers of the platform. And I think that's one of the biggest problems is, you know, over the last 20 years or so, we've gone from organizations with like people did everything. Like I remember in my early career, like I graduated in 95 and you just built shit. Like there was no product management design. You just built shit. And we're all in a team and you've got to write the docs and write the code and get people and talk to your community in Bigzilla. And I worked in open source for a long time and you know, we did everything. We had to do planning and show our community what we're building and you just do everything. And now you've got all these roles. And I think developers have stepped back and we're like, we just built shit. Someone else has to manage it and metric it. And I'm like, yeah, but you realize if you don't measure these things like uptime and, and performance and scalability and you can show the progress as well as a PM is going to go show progress of what screens are being used or if are you getting engagement on those features, then you're not going to work on it. You're not going to care. And I, I think everything you do has to be like, you have to ask yourself one question, are we getting better or worse over time? I think platform work also is not like, it's really hard to have like a concrete goal. Like we need this to happen this year in scalability. What I ask teams is just, do you know if you're getting better or worse year over year? If you can ask yourself that and measure it and show it, then I think it's one, it's going to be easy to invest in it. And also be easy to, when, to know when to not invest in it because it, maybe it's fine. Um, but I think those are things that have gotten in the way, I think of us investing in platform work talking about it and treating it as like one of the most important product features that you have. Yeah, I agree. This is such an important point and something there, there's a few questions from the audience we'll get into later on this that relates to product management and advocating for work. But I think the next question I was going to ask you relates to sort of the first step tying back to the definition. What's your advice for developers or leaders out there who are in organizations whose leadership maybe doesn't intuitively understand what platform work is or why it matters. What's your advice for having that conversation perhaps with less technical stakeholders to get some buy-in for platform work? Yeah. And um, you didn't ask this yet, but maybe I'm going to ask myself a question and answer it because I think it's related, which is why the hell do I advocate 50% platform work? You know, I think that was a bit of the controversial point. And I was actually trying to make sure we had a strong conversation about it. Like, I don't know if it's like, 45 or whatever, but it's not 10, it's not 20, you know? So I think just to your question, like, how do you have a conversation about this? I think starting the conversation with, we think the platform work requires 50% of investment. 
creates a bit of like a, what the hell? Like there's a conversation that has to happen because you just brought out a big number that's going to scare the crap out of everyone. And they're going to go, what do you mean? You're like, cool, let's talk about this. You know, but so it's for me that 50% is a tool for engineering leaders to at least spark that conversation and be able to have that and go, actually, let's, here's why, right? And so I think that number for me was a tripwire for having those conversations and a responsibility for, you know, that leadership team and to, you know, be able to show what that looks like. So I think that's the tool for me to as you have that conversation. And then if you can't find that kind of work right around core abstractions, technology decisions, et cetera, like, you know, scale work, like, then maybe it's fine. Maybe you have a year where you've done too much and you, you're swinging a lot. But usually I really, really see that with, you know, especially with companies after they've been around for two to three years. And and I guess they're, they're getting to the one to end space where they're actually, they want to be around for 10 to 15 years and they have to start making different bets. So I think that's kind of my biggest advice for folks is spark the conversation. Don't stand back and assume all this is going to happen in the platform and people are just going to give you money. You're going to go away. You have to be an advocate for it. You need a better plan than any product manager in your company around what to do with platform work. Because one, it's, it is going to take longer, it has a bigger impact, and you have to be better organized than anyone else. I made that mistake in my career where I went through a bit of like a you know, early career, we had to do everything because we had no role defined in, our, in this industry to, oh, there's product managers and there's designers. And then I'll just go, like, I did that. Like, I personally was like, I'll just go build a feature roadmap. And I'm, that's great. And then you're like, holy shit, there's all this stuff that, like, who was advocating for this? And, oh, maybe that was me again. And then you, you get back to it, right? So it's, I've gone through that, um, that yin and yang of uh, taking kind of a strong leadership role of that work. And, and I strongly believe you, like, someone has to do this full-time job in your work. Yeah, I agree. And we're going to definitely chat next about that 50% number because I love the bold approach and I love the explanation that, you know, part of the goal of that number is to provoke conversation. And I dare say it almost sounded like put the burden of proof on executives to, you know, why not 50%, right? Not why 50%. So this is a question I get a lot and a lot of organizations are definitely wrestling with. And like you just alluded to, you've given this concrete number. 50%, you said 50% of R&D spend should be focused on platform work. And you said most teams are very off from what it should be. So can you, and we've talked about kind of some of the inspiration around the usefulness of that 50% number, but you know, when you say most teams are very off from what it should be and 50%, like, how are you arriving at this number? Well, I have to pick a number and it sounded like a good one, but I also pick it because, you know, through the last, you know, 10 years of jobs that I've had, when I actually go and I look at like, what would I work on? Like what, like with the lens that I have as a engineer, an executive of a company, so I see all the feature roadmap. I see all the stuff we've got to build for like end features. I see the realities of what's under the covers. I try and make, you know, bets that are medium, you know, like short-term, medium, long-term. And then I go, oh, we should be updating our order model for this. And I'm like, oh, I, there's a list like this of things that we could do. Like if we're really going to do these kinds of features for long-term, there's a list. And I, I put that together and I'm like, it's always more than you think it is. And if you don't do, and then, you know, whenever I go work with engineering orgs and I go, can you show me your platform list and your feature list? I call them the growth list, not features, because they're all features. So it's like a platform list and your growth list. And I said, show me both lists. And I just like, people have that in their heads and you go talk to developers, what's in the platform. They're like, yeah, like we have 133 attributes on our order model and like, Every time we have to implement a feature, we can't do this, or you know, we made an assumption about them being mutable, but they should really be immutable because that means we can do this. Like all that's there organizationally. And I think it's almost like we've created companies where that conversation's not actually happening. Like it's almost like, oh, that's just engineering stuff. Or that's just, oh, just change it or whatever, you know. But I'm like, that's some of the most important decisions you're gonna make are like in those conversations about how it's built. So I think the the other thing about like why is it hard for some people? I think conceptually, people see strategy as the why, but not the how. So companies are going to organize, they have the execs and whatever, and they're going to go, we want to go tackle these things. These are our objectives. And they're like, I don't care how it gets built, just get it built. And I'm like, I have a very different philosophy. I think the origins of the word strategy is actually in the how. It's like, how are you going to win? It's like, we have to go over this bridge and we have to do this and that. Like, that's the how. And I think the how then is how we're going to implement all these things is extremely strategic conversation. And I think you know, execs and whatever, like leadership has to vet, understand and support the how. And unfortunately, a lot of platform work is the how and it gets ignored because people feel it's in the weeds. And I think some of those weeds are strategic. Give you a super interesting example. The most strategic decision that Twitch made. So we've all, I don't know, I game sometimes, I'm on Twitch, it's great. In their origin story, 
you think like, what's strategic about Switch with them? Like, do they build a streaming, like a video streaming service server themselves or not? Right. Like that's kind of the how, like it doesn't matter. Like maybe we can change that. It's like, okay, that's an extremely important platform decision. That was a platform decision in their first 18 months that actually, if you look at the leverage it provided, it means that they could host, they could stream videos at 10x lower cost than anyone else could do, which means they can do more of it. The basic Twitch is alive today because of that one technical decision they made. They decided to do it and it changed everything. Like that's a leverage decision. So I'm like, in your company, are you making any of those kinds of decisions of, of like, that I'd say get ignored in a lot of companies as being an implementation detail, but platforming it, long-term leverage things, the how matters a lot. Those conversations are happening and that's why companies are at 10 or 20%. And then they call me and they're screwed and it takes us three years to unwind it. <laughs> that's the story of my entire life. Like cookie cutter with every organization I'm working with right now. That's really funny. And that was a really interesting story about Twitch and a really interesting way to think about platform or like what platform decisions or even conversations. You talked about how these conversations don't even happen at a lot of organizations. You know, what conversations and decisions are you making that are that could be or are these big areas of leverage? I'm curious in your own work, personal work leading organizations like Shopify and Atlassian, were they close to that 50% number? Or is that more of an aspirational number? Or should they have been? So it's funny. I think the team that we did the best, I learned this with and then unlearned it. So I was part of the Eclipse platform team, which is an open source kind of IDE, blah, 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 for quite a while. I think we got that number pretty well. I think we didn't, a lot of things we didn't do well, but I think we balanced that really well because we kind of were a platform in some way, like our product was a platform. So I think we had to a bit more. I think at Atlassian, you know, they're pretty early days startup y trying to launch three, four new products, doing some MA. I think it wasn't, I think I made a mistake. I think they adjusted after. At Shopify, I think I came in guns blazing, tried to make it 50%. And I think you can see some of the I'd say you'd say I, I wish we could have done more, but you know, some like we scaled like crazy and that was all, you know, that was work from 2014. Like that was not us ultimately like there's a lot of stuff we did. I think the CEO told me was actually a bit a really good advocate of that as well. So it's good to, I didn't have to justify it all the time, but I think it was a continual work organizationally because I think the shared view and definition of platforms, not there, right? It's like, it's no one's read this book. Everyone's read the lean startup. No one's read the platform book, you know? So it's like, you're starting kind of on the back foot, but I think I learned a lot at Shopify about, you know, how to champion and how to kind of coach my team, you know, because people would come and complain, like developers complain about stuff all the time, like this and that. I'm like, well, listen, I was like, if you want to do this kind of work, you need a roadmap. Like, what do you mean? Like, well, I think great platform roadmaps, actually, what they do is they're basically a leverage diagram. You go, if we do this, and then there's basically an arrow, we can do this and this and this, and it'll be enable this and this. And it's like, I think some engineers are worried going, well, I don't know. It's like, well, caught like a tofu scale. Like there's hard things that we know, like in a one year, we'll be able to build this thing, reduce this cost and make this quicker. And then in three years, we think the soft tofu scale, like this soft, we think we'll be able to do this. But so I think that's a really good view of platform work is showing what it enables as a thing, not just like, not like a, a metric going, we want this to be adopted, but like, what's it going to enable in the future? Like if, like an example of Shopify was we, we had to add subscriptions to Shopify and subscriptions as a thing means that your order after it's been generated has to become mutable now, which is kind of a, like when you take a core data model that was immutable and you make it mutable, like there's a lot of side effects to doing that. You know, I think we were scared shitless a bit about doing that, knowing the side effects of, of doing that. But I think, I think I remember we had a really good, strong staff developer and I was really impressed, like actually put it in very customer centered features going, we're going to make orders mutable in this way. We're going to, here's about backwards compatibility, but here's five years of feature roadmap. And we're like, I was like, do you guys want these things? Do you want like pre-orders and this? And they're like, oh, yeah, everyone wants that. Like, cool. This work's going to make that possible. You know? So like at that point, there's no... Like, it, it's not a, like you're not even selling this thing. You're going, hey, the, there's these features that we're going to be able to get if we can do this kind of work. And, you know, it took us two and a half years. Actually, was, I'm using one of these new features that I think we started that project three years ago now that launched for Black Friday this year. And I was like, cool. I remember when we kicked that snowball off the hill. So I think I went through the mistakes. I think Shopify as it, as it is now is actually pretty close. And that's, I mean, maybe it was at the end of my career or not, I'm not that old, but at, you know, 20 years later, like it, it took a long time because there's a lot of pressure. There's a lot of pressure not to do it. There's a lot of misunderstanding about it. So maybe I sound a bit like it should be obvious, but it, it, it's hard. And that's why I want to talk about it. Yeah. 
Well, definitely. And for what it's worth, we spoke a few episodes back, we spoke with a leader from Shopify, and we were really impressed with how they're approaching platform work and developer experience. So I think you you did well there, from what we can tell. We have a uh, question from an audience member, and this is actually a leader at Qualtrics. And it was a couple questions, but you know, I don't know the full context. It's, they're probably having internal conversations around you know allocation to platform work versus other work. And you know, one of their questions was the fifty percent on platform work. Is this about keeping the lights on, or also the proactive investments in reliability, scalability, platform capabilities? And, and I think we can sort of answer that question. It sounds like it's all of the above, right? When I think of mistakes that people will make again, is not a shared definition going. We just want to fix tech debt because we're slow. That is like, if an engineer says that and like and uses that as their pitch for platform, like that's why they're not getting any support. Like it can't be. But I think you you have to always champion those non-functional features that might get lost in the mix, right? Like scalability, et cetera. But also you have to like a big part of that roadmap is enabling of things, right? It has to be enabling of things. Like Twitch like didn't do this video server because they're like, we want streaming to be cheaper so we can do more of it. Like, don't we want more of it? Yes, cool, okay. Like that really clear understanding of where the company's going, where the product's going, has to be part of the pitch and the understanding of, of that. I think there's some years, 80% of your roadmap is platform work. And sometimes maybe it might be 30. Like maybe it's like, we have a kick, we've got to get a new product out there. It's a product market fit thing. We're doing like, we're just going to get it like, cool. Like I'm a, an extreme pragmatist as well. But I'm saying like steady state for a company after is going to be 50%. But I think if you take it as a customer feature enabling thing, as much as a technical hygiene thing, then I think you're easily fine 50%. That makes sense. I want to double click on that technical hygiene piece because the second part of this question was actually, let's go with the 50% for overall platform work for this conversation. But let's say what percentage of that would you say would be typically allocated to only the sort of keep the lights on, like the maintenance and uptime, on-call, patching? Like what's a good baseline percentage for, for that type of work? I'd say typically it'd be like, you know, 10 to 20%. That's what people usually think of platform. Like, we're spending 10% on platform. Like, no, you're just keeping the lights on, you know, of like, clean, like gardening, you're weeding, like you're gardening, you're not planting new things, you're planting new trees or preparing for the future. You know, you're just gardening. And there's obviously gardening has to happen, right, on teams. And one of the habits I had just to support some of the gardening work is I had a, a cron script that would, you know, RM minus RF of my source directory on my laptop every Monday. And I'd go get my dev environment set up again and go, can I take a bug off the queue and get it fixed in production? And if I couldn't, then I know, okay, we, we've got some issues. Or you know, like some of that, I think culturally, you, as a leader, you definitely have to champion and, and do. But I think you can't pitch platform work. Is that being all of it? But I don't know, maybe 10 to 20%. Like it depends what's in that bucket. I'd say like developer experience, you know, CI, CD, uh, tooling, uh, infrastructure, you know, companies are going to decide like, like how much self-serve do you have in your company around people creating things and deploying and managing it? And like, it's probably 10 to 20. And also like, as part of that work, I would say there's some cohesiveness projects of like, hey, we've been doing this thing in five ways and we're going to pick one. Like, okay, that's like a long-term cohesiveness investment. I think you're going to find some of those here and there that I think that's, that's part of the 20%. Like that's actually, there's 30%, I'd say, are actually way more feature oriented uh, platform work. Yeah. Well, I love that answer, and I really love the gardening analogy. Are you just putting out weeds, or are you planting new spruce trees that are going to grow into beautiful in a beautiful landscape in uh, twenty years? I want to ask about sort of stage of company. Like when you think about, we get this feedback a lot because we speak to a lot of leaders at a lot of these sort of high soaring companies. But you know, most of the companies out there are small businesses or just you know earlier stage software companies. Does this 50% number in your mind mostly apply to large organizations? Does it apply to small organizations? Is there a linear curve as your organization grows, exponential curve? What's kind of your take on how you think about allocation as it pertains to stage and size of a company? I think it doesn't. It applies to a one-person company or a 10,000-person company equally. Again, the just going back to the what kind of decisions are encompassed in this platform work, I think there's some extremely strategic ones for the long term of any company. I think that one of the bad raps that platform work has is people just go, it's tech debt or it's infrastructure or things, but it's, I see a lot of problems in core domain models that don't get updated. 
like people piggyback, like there's a healthcare company you're working with and they're like, you know, like billing for healthcare is complicated and you've got to, and they have five billing models because they want to go fast, short term. And now they're like, you know, it's like three years of unwinding. And at some point, we, like, I think every year just go, Hey, we're doing this three times and we do this way. And how, like, Hey, we're going to go from Canada to the U S we're gonna have to support all the States. And like, so that like that work could have happened in, you know, year one of their existence. And I think they pushed it off a lot. And I think the Twitch example is another really good one of, you know, that kind of work, you know, having long-term leverage or not, you know, is there a lean startup world of just like, just throw it all together and you're going to have to rewrite it anyway? Like, maybe like the six months, I don't know, like, let's throw it at a wall and see if anyone will likes it. Like maybe there is. And I think you do have to get, you have to get used to rewriting things, which means that like platform work's not about getting perfection. It's about the habits of yearning for perfection, but not getting it, you know? So I think that has to start on day one in your company. Uh, I, well, you responded the way I thought you would. As the, the question rolled off my tongue, I, I anticipated you would say it doesn't matter. And I would agree with that. You know, you've touched on this a couple of times. I've changed my mind on this a lot. So it comes out, but I like, this is, I get asked this question a lot. And in the early days, like probably two years ago, I would have said, yeah, just ignore this for your first 18 months, just try and survive. But the more companies I work with, the more, I don't think it applies, you know? And I, I, let me give you a super concrete example. Okay, so I'm building a new thing and I want to, like, you have two, three customers, you think it's going to work. And at some point you're like, shit, we tweeted something and we have 200. And we're like, oh, we didn't automate like the onboarding of this and we can deploy a new service. And we did, like, that's gonna kill your company to not say yes to those companies coming in. But that was kind of scalability work and that you kind of didn't need it. And so like someone at least, and maybe it's a good problem to have and like, it's good that it broke and you'll, you'll fix it. But I just see more and more of that work, the strategic house that at least that conversation has to happen. And that's why I've changed my mind. Like I used to say, yeah, ignore this for a while. It's for a big company and I've, I've changed my mind based on just working with more smaller companies in the last two years. Yeah. Not just change my mind, like convince me, like I'm almost like 99.9% .9 sure that it's applicable. Yeah. Well, it sounds like you've seen a lot of organizations sort of get blindsided later. And, you know, you've touched on this a few times in this conversation already, but boiling it down, why do you think it is that platform work is just so consistently underinvested in? Is it that, you know, developers and engineering leaders we just suck at communicating about these things? Is there just overall lack of awareness? Are leaders just too short-sighted? Like what, why is this such a consistent problem? Man, all of the above. Like I think culturally, society-wise, we split, we have a lot of specialized roles in companies now. And I think there's a power dynamic difference between who decides what work gets done. I think some companies have overhired, you know, all these roles, but I, I think there's a lot of product managers out there that are like fantastic and they run a lot of the roadmaps. And I think a lot of the companies, that's kind of how it is. And I think that gets in the way. I believe that people don't have a shared, like all the things we talk, I mean, it feels like I'm repeating, like no shared understanding what platform is. So you don't know what to put in a bucket. Um, there's a power dynamic difference in companies about who decide what work has to happen. Um, and I think engineers are shitty at communicating long-term. Like there's a lot of engineers who, we have a lot of burden, which we have to make it work. You know, and I think with platform work, you have to make it work and you have to know what it's going to do and you have to plant. Like there's a lot of that. So I think, you know, assuming that that's the part-time job to do that, like it's it's a lot of work to be a really good product owner of the platform. And I think you underinvest so you don't sell it as well and your story's not good and you're behind and you... So I, I think all that combined is probably one of the reasons why it's not investment as, as much as it should. Yeah. Well, I would agree. And, and all those things make sense. We've talked a lot about how organizations or how much organizations should be devoting to platform work and how it's consistently underinvested in. I want to talk, shift the conversation to talking about, you know, how can developers and leaders actually actualize this or turn this into reality in their organizations? And one approach that's been gaining a lot of attention across the industry is this notion of a, a platform team, like a dedicated platform team. And earlier when we were chatting about this, you shared an interesting take on this. So I, I'd love to go to that and get your thoughts on that. Let's ignore the org structure first. And I'll tell you why, because I think having a platform team is, uh, could be an anti-pattern because if you, if we agree on, I think, not to agree, but if you take my definition, my current definition, and there, there could be tweaks to it, but the definition of like the core data models being in there, some technology decisions, et cetera, I think there's a platform component of every team. Like if you take every team that's building, like you've got three teams that build different parts of your, your product, like they all have a platform component in what they do. And I think taking that view of every team has, you know, 50% platform, 40% features and 10% experiments, 
then you can't really reorg and go, I've got a platform team. Like what? It's actually dangerous to do that. Now, you can have a team that does developer productivity and maybe you're a specialist on infrastructure, a specialist on your data infrastructure. But I think saying that you're, that team owns your entire platform roadmap is an anti-pattern. So I think the concept of having a platform roadmap is has to transcend your org structure. And I think you need a leader. You have to go, you're the PM of the platform. Like, what should we work on? And it should be with the view and the lens of looking at things across the company, right? Of, of what's going to provide leverage. So I think that's why, I think that why the platform seems different. And I think what I call the other teams is call them what they're actually doing. <laughs> because platform's so misunderstood, the, min, the minute you're going to call the platform, you know, what is that again? It's like actually call it maybe a developer accelerated team and a, a hosting team, infrastructure, whatever, like, you know, data pipelines team. We've got a build and see it. Like, you know, we did have, like, I find it is useful over time to extract some things that you're doing across the company. You go, actually, we're going to do it this way. You know, and at Shopify, we had a Rails team. We did have a Rails team and they're like, but everyone's doing Rails at Shopify. Yeah, of course we all are. But there's a team who was like super involved in the open source community, working on the next version of Rail, adopting it for everyone and helping it. But their job was always to be a bit of like a, an accelerator for all the other teams. Because when we adopted a new Rails version, like every team had to do a bit of work. But this team, these were the experts doing it, enabling everyone else to do it, but they didn't do it for everyone else. Same route, CI, CD, and testing. Like, I mean, you probably know all this stuff, but so that's where, don't call that a platform team, call them what they're actually doing. So we had a Rails infrastructure team and a mobile infrastructure team doing, hey, we have to do React Native performance testing. Cool, someone has to figure it out and share it to the org. That's cool. But again, that's 10 to 20% of your platform roadmap. There's a lot more. That's what I see typically being ignored. Yeah, it's funny. When we were chatting earlier and you kind of, you know, blurted that you thought platform teams were an anti-pattern. Initially, I was like, what? But now that you explain it, I, I think I agree. And in fact, you know, we've been talking, like you just kind of concluded, we've been talking about how platform work is consistently underinvested. And, and it almost seems like the buzzword of platform team is almost like an easy button for organizations to say, yeah, we do invest in platform work because we have this team called platform team, right? Oh, that's a good point. Absolutely. Yes. It's a get out of jail card of like, well, we have a team called platform, but you, you haven't decided, like, again, probably the wrong scope and the wrong mandate um, for that team. Yeah. How do you, let's talk about ways, whether you're a platform team or just an engineer on a team that sees the opportunity for platform work. I mean, we've talked about this already a few times, you know, talking about what does this work enable? tofu scale of kind of impact, but I mean, do you have any specific examples of, or more detailed advice on, you know, how can these teams really be good product managers, good communicators, and like what types of signals or metrics or narrative, like how do they go and advocate for this type of work to leaders? I think the first thing that like any engineer can do is just, you know, platform work is triangulating things like a lot of signal, right? Hey, we're doing these, this kind of thing a lot, or I, I'm seeing these features come down the pipeline and I know that they're all gonna be doing this kind of thing. And, you know, realizing it's valuable to explain what you see to others. You know, I, I would, you know, even as like CTO at Shopify, at some point I would see things other people didn't see. And what I do, I write a doc, I go, here's what I see. Okay, it looks like we have a couple options here where we're gonna put this code. It's gonna go here, we can, you know, we can hack it here, there. Like I'd write these kind of mini brainstorm proposals for platform because I didn't also didn't trust my instincts all the time. Like this is hard stuff. Like I I got to write this down. And I maybe take ownership of like can I explain this to myself? Can I see value in this? I prototype it a bit, write some stuff down, and go. Platform work is expensive, so I want to make sure that we understand what we understand here. So I was a big fan of like uh, like prototyping, like going, hey, we think there's a way we can do this. It's not the way we thought. Is it it's a bit hard, right? It's a bit. Listen, like platform works not done in a week, right? It's going to be. We're going to do this thing, refactoring, we're going to get ready for this. Like, so I think a prototype and being able to explain yourself in the context of like, again, leverage, like, why do you think this is worse? And what's the leveraging to me? Take ownership of that. I think is, that's kind of like, you do it as a developer, I did a CTO, like it's the same thing, right? You just have different signals and, and doing that. And, you know, sometimes it takes a while. <laughs> like you almost have to be more prepared because these are longer conversations they are more investments. So people are going to be, you know, pickier about like why we're doing it. I'd say there's also an anti-pattern. I think a lot of people, they'll write the RFC that's like 40 pages, which is, I'm like, I don't know, do three, but get a prototype together. I'm just a big fan of prototypes and a bit of a write-up. Because I think the write-up's useful because I think you want to look at different options with platform work. There's usually going to be more than one path and actually showing that you see that. You're not just building it the way 
you're comfortable with, but you're really looking at the long term means there's going to be more than one option. So I think that's my biggest tip of people just get in the habit of having those conversations, prototypes, write ups, and then from that, that roadmap's going to develop. And as an organization, you're getting a lot of signal of, you know, like I used to get a lot of like as a CTO, I get like my entire job was getting these these signals from the teams going, hey, you've seen this, John Michelle, like we're doing this a lot more. And you said to, you know, maybe highlight and write this up. And I'm like, absolutely cool. You know, and it wasn't like we're going to work on it like Captain Blanche. Like I was extremely cynical. I'm like, most of our platform work is going to be a cluster because it's, but some of it's going to be 10x. Like we may as well find, we have to find that. And there's no magic person who's got it all in their head, but we have to have those conversations. So I think that's my biggest tip is, is prototype, do the write-ups, make sure it's visible and make sure you take ownership of seeing and understanding the leverage it's going to provide. And, and share that. That's great advice. And, you know, one question that came from the audience is kind of the opposite end of everything else that we've been talking about, which is like, you know, have you seen overinvestment in platform work? And like, how do you know when a platform team, I know that's an anti-pattern, but a platform team or platform investment or initiative is a failure? What are signals of that? And how do you kind of wind that down? Yes, I was both lucky and maybe unlucky, but IBM bought a company I was with a while ago, maybe 20 years ago. And I think the bigger your company you get, the more platform work you do, because you're like, man, platform works great. I can get all this leverage out of it. Like they've got big because they kind of figured that out. And then it's extremely wasteful. So the, the two biggest anti-patterns is you have uh, duplication police who go around going, oh, we're duplicating that once we got to go and put that into a shared library. Or like, I was like, that is like, you duplicate until like duplication is not the problem. Duplication is way better than having this wrong abstraction that's used all over the place. Like I'm, you've got to duplicate until you actually see things properly. So there's duplication police that go around and get really upset if there's any duplication. Like that's really really dangerous um, because again, platform's hard and you you need enough signal to even know what to do. And I think that's a mistake. And you'll have all these libraries won't get adopted or they'll be like it's not wasn't the right time because you didn't even know what you like. The maturity curve of a technology also means that it's not like we're not ready to remove duplication because we don't know where it's going to go, right? Whether it be like front-end development, like six years ago, we didn't know, like React, like kind of, it was, I'd say front-end development six years ago, I'm, some people might say two years ago, but was, we didn't have enough patterns. And I, like, I was very hesitant about like making a bet on the one thing. And I, I remember at Shopify, we actually did have a lot of pressure around just coming out. And I was like, it felt like we weren't ready, right? And we had a natural, like when time comes, it's there. So that's the first thing. The second thing is the second anti-pattern. So Duplication police. The second one is uh, building the platform before the features. And that's the one I saw the most, like the most waste in of maybe platform astronauts. Yeah, maybe I always like buzzwords. So it's like duplication police and platform astronauts who are building a platform without context, you know? And my first question for any platform work is what's the first feature that's going to use this? And it better be shipping in parallel. And maybe like a good visual for this, I think platform work has to start with a vertical team. And people see platform as very horizontal, but I think every new platform piece has to start with a vertical team, which is they're building the platform and the feature in lockstep and ideally even on the same team, you know? So, you know, a simple example of that, maybe just from Shopify times is, yeah, we're doing some really big work on the order model to enable subscriptions. We're going to ship subscriptions. <laughs> cool. Okay. Now over time, that team, I think almost shifts into a bit more horizontal, but we need that use case. We have to deliver customer value. And it's not because we want money and we need customer, but we have no idea, like platform works so hard that we kind of need some anchors to know if we're even on the right track. And that anchor has to be value, which is customer value. Like it, you know, it has, or like scalability has to be like, yeah, we can now support a million orders a second. Like there has to be one of those anchors. And I, I see big companies going away and they see the anchors, but they, I, I'd say they're, they're on paper and they're astronauty because they're, they're theoretical, but they're not shipping in lockstep with those features. And I think that's a mistake. I'm a big fan of putting like, platform and feature teams together when they're trying to build a new platform thing. So you can ship the UI, the feature at the same time. And I, I think, I mean, in, in a lot of ways, platform has to be extracted from features over time. So, you know, I think IBM and other companies have wasted billions of dollars on too much platform. So don't take me saying everything has to be a platform. I'm not, I'm a bit, I'm saying, you know, the 50% because I think people go off of that, but I think the bigger you get, there could be more waste and you can, you can do a lot more. I, and as a startup, you can do too much platform. I, I've met you know, companies where there's 10 people, they've got 20 microservices and they've got the biggest, the best deployment I've ever seen. I'm like, you just wasted time on things that don't, don't matter. Yeah. 
Well, and I mean, it's not just about wasting time on platform work in general. I think it's also just about focusing on the wrong type of platform work, right? Like a pre-product market fit startup, to your point, if they have these beautiful microservices, probably you know, wasting their time. In fact, it was probably the wrong platform work altogether because it probably slowed them down, actually. It didn't even accelerate them, right? They're not getting any sort of foreseeable term leverage from that. And this came from the audience as well. That's what I wanted to ask you about next, which is we've talked about ways to kind of advocate for platform work, what platform work is. Within an organization where there's probably a lot of competing platform initiative ideas, you know, if you have $100, how do you decide which initiatives to invest in? And there's a follow-up to this, which is this person said, you know, as they understand Shopify has less and less PMs in the platform space. So, you know, how are they even do organizationally? Like, where's the muscle? What, what's the process for even doing this? And you kind of alluded to it. You said as a CTO, you would just get RFCs all the time. But like, what's the right process? Hmm. That's a good question. <laughs> I'm a bit of a hand-to-hand -hand combat kind of person of just, you know, making sure you're having these conversations and then you'll they'll kind of naturally, if your job is just to make sure those different kinds of conversations and people are at the table, then you're going to see, right? And you can actually have the debate. Like for me, it's less about how would I sequence the list? I'm like, a lot of people don't even have the list, you know? So I'm like, if you even have the list and you're actually debating it, then like, you're fine. Like whatever, right? Now, I think your second part is really interesting, which is if you're in an organization where that list isn't, isn't at the table, then it is true. Like depending on the, the people you have and their experience and their skill, et cetera, like I think you're going to get different lists based on the people you have. And I think, you know, at Shopify, maybe we swung the pendulum a bit much to like very feature-oriented product managers because, I mean, it was very domain-specific, like to hire developers who knew how commerce work. Like it was a good thing to do, but I think we'd, you'll see some of the, like we actually did a bit of a, I guess, refresh education. Like we brought a lot of ex-developers being product managers, like the product manager of our online store. Vanessa was like phenomenal <laughs> developer as well. Spent, you know, 10, 15 years as a, as a PM. But like, I think... Like she was now pulling that rope, like she knew, right? And I, you know, we had to remind her once in a while, but honestly, like she was phenomenal. So I think we'd had a bit of a, a call for a refresh of like the, a balance of the kinds of PMs we needed across the org and then championing, making, and as I said, like every senior engineering lead is a product manager for their platform work in their area. I just told people like, you're dev manager. I'm like, where's your platform roadmap? Oh, well, I'll talk to the PMs. Like, no, like what's like, you need that, right? And, and. Like it's really hard to hire PMs. PMs are really hard roles to fill. There's not a lot of, so we always had um, less PMs than we wanted to. So we had to be resourceful and you have to, you know, turn people into having that PM mindset, which is about ownership, about what should be built and bringing that stuff to the table. So I think that was, to your question, a bit of a shift, but I think um, like not super drastic. Like everyone can do that. It's within reach of everyone, you know? Yeah, well, I love that quote. Just, you know, every senior engineer or team lead is, the product manager of platform work for that team. There's another podcast about what we expect of managers. You know, I think we had a maybe a pendulum shift of manager's job is to shepherd and make sure the team's doing good work, but not responsible for the work that they're doing. And I think if they're not doing that, then they're not championing, I think, some of the signals I get from the team. And that's why I like the word roadmap, because they're like, what do you mean roadmap? We have one. And I was like, maybe we have two roadmaps. And maybe you should be helping figure out what's on it. And then there's a conversation where you merge them. But you got to bring it to the table and you have to, like, if you're not seeing what those things are and you're not championing it, then I think as a manager, just making sure your team can ship the roadmap is a colossal failure. So I, I'd say that is a bit, like, I knew it was not natural given what we expect, I think, managers to do now or leaders to do. And I think it caused people to, I definitely ruffle some feathers going, like, what do you mean? That's, and I was like, I just want to make sure the roadmap we have has all the input into it, put it that way. That makes sense. And so let's say you have this list. So the conversations are happening. People are bringing ideas to the table. You have a list. You've been in the role of deciding what things on that list are the best things or the things that should actually happen. Generally speaking, I mean, can you kind of walk us through the algorithm in your, like, how do you evaluate these different initiatives as CTO? Because this is the same way I think organizations could potentially approach it, you know, whoever's making those decisions or having those discussions. I think if you're starting off, like trying to get back to 50% and you have to be pretty timid and, and, and humble and recognizing platform works hard. So I try and like the last thing you want is to have five things going in parallel. So I, I'd almost look at the list and going, what's easy platform work, medium, <laughs> easy platform work and hard and pick one of each, you know, like don't pick two, like, 
kind of like start to get some velocity because I know these things were hard and I know we're going to pivot and we're going to have a, like, it's going to take a while. So I, I'm a huge fan of just doing things in series and less in parallel. And I think once you start prioritizing, I'd also try and look at timing of like, like, can we get the feature team, like actually shipping the feature at the same time we have the platform. And I think that also dictates timing of when you do this work. I'd say a huge amount of waste in companies actually is literally in the bad sequencing of work based on your eyes are way bigger than your stomach, like just based on hoping, not on, on pragmatism of like just knowing there's an ordering of thing that, that can make a two to three X difference in terms of that happening. So I think that's, you got to bring that lens to like the kinds of work that's happening. And then you do have to see also like, we're going to be here for three years. So like, we don't have to get it all done now. You want to leave some of this for later. So I think be pretty strict about not doing too much in parallel, synchronizing. If you can get a feature team and, and I said, there's no platform team, but like the feature teams and the, like just, the whole team that we can actually ship the feature at the same time. And that's more like people. And it's usually going to be a bit more people than you want, like on paper, just because it's a bit harder. Like, I think those two things are, are really important. And then knowing that, that you've got to throttle it, like putting something to next year is like a good decision to like get that hard thing done. And I think I see a lot of people go, yeah, we're going to invest in that hard thing, but they don't slow down any of the other stuff. And then that platform thing takes forever. And then they're like, we're never, never going to invest in platform work ever again, because it took five years. I'm like, no, that's because you you saw you can do platform with 10% and you just went off and it took five years because you didn't sequence, you didn't invest in the, in, in the proper way. Well, I think that's a helpful response The yeah, do things in series, pick some quick wins, smaller things, in addition to some larger opportunities. It's almost like when you start platform work, there's a couple of milestones where you can make or break that project. There's a milestone where you're like, so platform work, there's a lot of discovery and it's harder, but there's some point where you have to get kind of an increase in velocity so that you don't lose because it takes longer. Like you need those wins and you need, so it's like the ability to like, not just like pick the things you want to work on, but as they get worked on that you're nimble enough to like readjust, go, okay, cool. We can leverage that thing now and that let's do that now, you know? And you're like, well, that team's working on this other feature. Like I'd always be tempted to like, almost make sure we accelerate some of the platform work because I know that we're going to get impatient and we're going to get like, you got to create some culture and energy around these. So it's like being able to pivot going, actually, we get two, three devs to go, let's put it behind a feature flag in the product and give it to two people right away. It's like, ah, oh, wow. it's like, so the ability to do that, create some wins, create some velocity. And also you'll learn really quickly. So that's something where it's not just in the selection of the roadmap, but the execution of it and making sure that you you kind of like nurture it in the right way. And a lot of that is going to be by adapting and changing who's on it. And a lot of these platform work is cross tech stacks as well. Like it's, how we need data, we need data, it's pipeline, there's some AI, there's this. And like, so that your ability to do that as it advances can make or break it. Again, like platform work has a bad rep to begin with. That's why people just want to invest 10%. So it's like, if you can be a bit creative in how you shepherd it is extremely important as a leader. That's a good addition to the conversation we were having. And there's this other question, it's a little bit, aside from this topic, but you know, someone asked, how do they Shopify decide what use cases they'll build themselves and which ones they'll leave for others to solve? And you know, it's kind of a build versus buy question, but I'm curious how that kind of you know, interlaces with platform work, which is you know, very closely intertwined with things like infrastructure, you know, tooling, things like that. So curious for your take on that. So there's two angles to that question that are actually fascinating. So the first one is, when you're building something um, with a platform mindset, usually you're trying to get leverage, which means that you're you're building something that someone's going to build on you. So the first dis discussion is like kind of like what's in core and what is it, you know. And I think that's a we never figured it out, but I think that's a really really important conversation for platform teams because I think platforms can fail when they try and do everything. They're like we're going to implement all the widgets and all the like. No, you like what's the core primitives here? <laughs> that you're okay with other people building on you, around you. And, and you know, for example, that's a typical developer platform, like what's in the app versus what's in the kernel, you know, and this has been our eternal thing around operating systems. Like what's the core primitives versus what gets added to it? I think there's no answer, but have that conversation. And it shouldn't be everything's in core, everything's in the, there's a split there that makes sense depending on what you're doing. Your other question is, hey, platform work's really expensive. Like, can we just buy stuff off the shelf? <laughs> like, is there some of this stuff there we shouldn't be building? I'm like, yeah, of course. I don't know what it is, but yes, there's some percentage that you should not be reinventing the wheel because it's hard. I'm a big fan of like leveraging platforms that as an example, are open source, right? Like Rails is a platform and you get more people using it, the better it gets. So there is a danger of, of a lot of platform work within a company. You don't have enough users. So I think like the way I, I usually looked at platform work is if it's non-domain specific infrastructure, I tend to want to take off the shelf 
and off the shelf, like it's not some enterprise SaaS, it's open source. I'm going to use some more source. We're going to use Tailwind. We're not going to invent our own CSS styling thing. So if it's like non-domain specific, and if it's domain specific, then like it's our crown jewels. Like absolutely, it has to be. It has to be something that, that we're going to build. Really useful advice and useful approaches. And I like that domain specific distinction and thinking about, you know, off the shelf or open source versus doing it yourself. The last question I have for you is you're someone who's led a lot of technology organizations, but also overseen a lot of platform work and some maybe platform teams. So in your eyes, you know, what distinguishes a great platform team? And I know we've called that an anti-pattern. So what distinguishes a great platform leader? from an okay one and you know what are common areas in which you see people trying to lead platform work fall short so i think you need someone who really understands the product because you can't build a platform in isolation so it's like you need a product experts who really like really yearns and extremely curious around the domain you're in and the product and has to be number one i think number two is is like someone who communicates really well who can actually explain <laughs> like who knows how to explain value i think right and without sugarcoating like very like a pragmatist value communicator who can go, you know, and then so that's number two. And then number three is I think you have to spend a lot of time understanding what's there today and what the future is and make sure that you're you're not creating a false ceiling for yourself. You know, and how do you do that is like you just you have to be gathering a huge amount of information internally about what's going on. Like this is where basically like on information absorption from every, from out on the outside, on the inside, and you're triangulating all this and you're trying to, you know, articulate and make some bets, some high leverage. I think doing those things, I think the platform leaders that have failed is if they just, they do one of those things. They're really, really product oriented, but they don't stay in touch or don't care about how the product's built. Then the ideas aren't there, but they're like uh, cheerleaders of it without any of the meat, right? And then there's the opposite, which is, you know, your lead architect who knows all the faults and all the shit and just, they get, overwhelmed and are pissed with just all the stuff. And they're just like, I just want to fix all the things and they can't explain the value, right? So I think that mix is is where the magic happens around really good uh, platform leaders. And something to develop, I think you can nurture people. I think you can pull people out of your org, which I think is good. I'd pull some staff developers out and go, hey, come hang out with me for six months, come to all my meetings and like go look across the stacks, go look at what I like, get more visibility into things. I think that helps you kind of triangulate where you're going to get the most leverage and why and, and and help teams not have like fake ceilings on what their ambition is. Well, really appreciate these insights. And John michel really enjoyed this conversation. I think it's been really entertaining, really viable, some contrarian opinions here, I think that are valid and really useful for organizations and leaders out there. Thanks so much for coming on the show and speaking with me today. It was my pleasure. My favorite topic. Thanks for having me.